Today's episode is brought to you by Search Press. For 50 years, Search Press has delighted crafters with detailed instruction books for knitting, crochet, sewing, quilting, fiber crafts, painting, and drawing. Start 2020 off with some of the finest books in craft. If you'd like to learn more about selling Search Press books in your store or on your website, check out Search Press at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 160 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a business as a paper artist with my guest, Abigail McMurray. And I'm very excited to be visiting Abigail here in her studio in Arlington, Massachusetts, which is not too far from my home. Abigail, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. With paper as a medium, artist Abigail McMurray combines her background in graphic design and sculpture to create paper craft kits, unique greeting cards, architecturally inspired artwork, and custom house portraits under the name Yayu Paper Objects. Abigail's custom house portraits were awarded an honorable mention in the 2019 Etsy Design Awards. These heirlooms capture a home or other building, rendering the details and dimensions in a one-of-a-kind paper sculpture. Abigail lives and works in Arlington, Massachusetts with her husband, sister, and cat, who are all very gracious about the tiny bits of paper that end up all over the house. Abigail McMurray, welcome. Thank you. So I know that you loved origami as a kid, and I'm wondering where you grew up. I grew up in central Illinois, um, just in a university town. Okay. Um, And uh, what did your parents do for work? My mom stayed home with us. My dad had a few different jobs, um, mostly around computers, fixing computers or a little bit of programming. Okay. Um, yeah. And you were pretty crafty. Yeah. So even though my dad worked technically, he was still pretty creative, is still a pretty creative person. And uh, my mom also, she's a woodworker, she's a, an avid gardener, and we just, we spent a lot of time in our childhood in the library. So we would come home with just these piles and piles of craft books, different projects, and kind of take over the whole kitchen table with paper and and other supplies with these books and kind of work our way through. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, great. And um, so what did you think that you wanted to be when you grew up, or what were your plans? Um, Even as a little kid, I can remember I I wanted to be an artist um, or an art teacher. I didn't I don't think I had a specific medium in mind. I'm not a drawer or a painter, really, um, which is kind of the grid I had for an artist as a kid. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. Right? Uh, I always say I went to art school and I can't draw, so it's it's okay if you can't draw. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm teaching workshops and things. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, how, how was that for you? So you did go to art school. I did go to art school, yeah. I have a BFA in graphic design and sculpture. Okay. Where did you go to school? Uh, also in central Illinois, Bradley University. Okay. So how did you kind of get into art school if you weren't, you feel like you weren't uh, great at drawing at least? I wasn't great at drawing. I mean, I can draw if I apply myself. It's not my favorite thing. I'm more of a spatial thinker. Okay. And so I, I wanted to do ceramics and, and three-dimensional sorts of things. Um, the school I ended up at, I actually ended up there because I, um, when I was a teenager, I really wanted to build websites. Um, oh, interesting. So I started building websites in middle school and learned HTML and started playing around with different like more technical things and the school I went to had a program called multimedia that was you know in the mid 2000s um, was one of the few places where I could go and do sort of the technical side and the design side in one place Um, and I ended up switching out of that program I ended up with a minor because I realized I was more interested in the visual side than the technical side Um, started switched to graphic design and then had to take some 3D electives as part of that program um, and realized I really loved sculpture and thinking about three-dimensional space and so added that as a second major. That's really cool. So um, did your dad bring home like some computers or like how did you kind of get into learning that you enjoyed building websites? Was there some introduction? I mean I feel like it's fairly unusual for a girl at that time to sort of decide that, you know, building a website was something that you wanted to do. I mean, it's more typical now, I think, for STEM and girls, you know, girls who code and that kind of thing. But I feel like back then, maybe it was a little bit less typical. Yeah, I think I think I ended up in sort of the first wave of that initiative to get girls interested in okay. science. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was. I always had a hard time in school picking a favorite subject. I just kind of liked everything. Uh-huh. Um, but my dad working with computers meant that we had computers at home before there was a computer lab in the school. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yes. Right. So you had access. Yes. Right. In a way that maybe some other people didn't. Yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. So you got introduced to sort of sculpture in college. Yeah. And, um, and then when you graduated, what was your first job out of school? I worked for uh, a shopping center and sort of real estate investment company in the same town where my school was in Illinois um, and got married and we were there for about a year and then my husband got a job out here in Boston so we picked up and moved um, and I ended up working at Boston University in online marketing. Okay. All right, so you're there, and um, I read online and doing a little research before coming over here that you sort of were making things out of, you know, origami paper and that kind of thing at your desk as a way to kind of like have something tangible and relieve some stress and sort of they started to multiply. Um, is, is that right? And and you sort of started to realize that maybe you needed to, to do more of that. Yeah, I think... I used it as as sort of a therapeutic action <laughs> in my work was all digital. I was designing email campaigns and making graphics for things. And so the only paper I interacted with was when somebody printed something out that they needed me to work on. Um, so I started folding my post-it notes on my desk <laughs> into, because they're square. Because they're square, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, I just would 
would get overwhelmed with a project and would stop for five minutes and fold the same thing that I was folding in second grade when I was obsessed with origami, just that like muscle memory, um, would just make a couple of those every day as, uh, this is a tangible thing. I can finish it in a reasonable amount of time. I don't need anyone's approval or sign off. And therefore I have accomplished something with my life today. I have made an origami box. I think so many people who are in a cubicle can just relate to that feeling. I honestly do. I mean, I, I, I feel like there's people probably listening to this, this podcast <laughs> who are like, yep, uh-huh, for sure. Okay, so how did that lead to you actually leaving that job? Like, talk about the, was there a plan in place? I know, like, some people who leave their day job you know, they're like, I'm going to save up for six months and then I'm going to like, you know, ask for part-time hours and like they have a whole plan and other people are just like walk out one day and are like, I'm done. And then they just sort of wing it or you know, had you started your shop or like talk about sort of how you transitioned. Yeah. So I was just really in a season of burnout and my husband also had a very stressful job at the time. So we were sort of both working at more than 100% capacity and our life was was struggling because of that. And so we had some family stuff come up. I gave my job several months notice so like I could transition well and then had my last day. We drove across the country to do some family stuff for a couple of weeks. My husband was working remotely so we were portable at that point. Um, and then kind of got back and settled in a while later a couple months later um, and started to try to figure out what was next and originally I thought I was going to go get another day job um, but my heart just wasn't in it and because my husband was working so much and his job paid so much better we just kind of made it work financially for that season and you were on his like health health yeah. benefits and stuff so yeah okay um, so then it was I left my job in like August and it was the next year in March when I found out about a craft show that I could apply to and <laughs> I actually found out about the craft show. The application deadline was at the end of March. So I developed a few products, put them in an Etsy shop and then used that as my application for the, the craft show. Um, and that was the beginning. And that was it. Yeah. So what were those initial products? Because I also want to sort of talk about the the evolution of the products, because I think I am guessing and I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing there's been an evolution. And I think um, that's a really interesting process to think about, like how you arrive at something that's successful, both <laughs> in that it makes sense financially um, to make to make it like it as far as your process, how much time it takes how much customization it takes to create this product. Um, and then also like product market fit, like there's actually an audience for it enough that, you know, you're going to be able to sell it again and again and again and, and you know, make money off of it. So um, so what were the initial products that were at that very first show in March? So I started off by sort of channeling that feeling of folding the origami things at work and wanting to share that. But because I'm, I know I've been doing origami for a long time and I've been like folding it and sharing it with people for a long time. And they're always so amazed that paper can be this thing. And so my, my concept, I received a silhouette cameo as a gift 
um, right around the same time when I quit my job. And so for, for people who don't know what that is, a Silhouette Cameo is a digital cutting machine yes. where you can input something into a computer and it, it, it cuts it. Um, it cuts it with a blade. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So my idea was to sort of take that that computerized cutting machine, my skills as a graphic designer, and that feeling, wanting to share that feeling of accomplishment from folding paper um, with people. And so I designed uh, a line of gift boxes or geometric paper objects that were pre-scored and self-adhesive kits. So you could buy the kit from me and you didn't have to worry about where the fold line was or how sharply it was creased or how accurate it was, which are all concerns with origami um, and reasons that people struggle with it, trying to get the corners lined up or whatever. Um, and it's self-adhesive. You don't need any glue or scissors or tape or mess. You just buy the thing, put it together, and you've made a cool thing out of paper. Um, they're cool, and people liked looking at them, but they didn't sell very well. Okay. <laughs> so they were these little boxes, basically, yes. and it was a kit. Okay. Yes. So that was the beginning. Um, you went to the show. People yeah. remarked that yes. they were cool, but didn't make a ton of sales. Right. And they were in the Etsy shop as well. Did they sell online better or no? No, no they just didn't yeah. really sell all that well. And they, I think my, my guess is that because it was a thing that you weren't really looking for. If you stumbled across it and you were the right person, you were kind of crafty and interested in paper and liked to wrap gifts and often gave small gifts. <laughs> then maybe it was for you. But basically nobody else really needed one. Right. Okay. Um, and in, in Etsy has a lot of traffic. There are a lot of people shopping, but it's a search-based sort of shopping experience. Correct. In other words, people part. are coming to Etsy, they're putting something into the search bar, and it's... Whatever results are coming up, they're sifting through and picking one. Right. And that's how they're shopping on Etsy. So if they're not searching for a geometric paper gift box, they're not finding my thing. Which, frankly, nobody's searching for that. Not very Okay. Many. Yes. So that was hard yeah. to make a sale online. And then in person, they also weren't so hot. Right. Okay. So there must have been some sort of pivoting after a while where you're like, if I want to make this work... And had you had, by the way, had you had entrepreneurial tendencies in your life prior to this? Like, often people are like, you know, I was selling scrunchies in eighth grade. I mean, were you one of those people or was this like I a was. new tendency? Yeah. Okay, you so were. My dad um, had his own business on the side, fixing pe- fixing computers for people. Um, so I grew up in sort of an entrepreneurial, Seeing that. like knowing that that was a thing yeah. you could do. Um, and in... Middle school, I think I had a booth at our local farmers market, and I made little jewelry out of polymer clay and, and sold things. So I did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so there. Okay, so yeah, you were you you had this in you anyway, yes. wanting to share this with people. Okay, all right. So it was there. This was not like a brand new urge. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um. So so how did you iterate then on the product to make something that would sell better? So for the. I was really, I really wanted to, to sell these kits and to share this, like, crafting can be accessible with people. Um, so I tried really hard for several years. I, um, instead of calling them gift boxes or making them, selling them as, as a gift wrap product, um, I 
did a like a micro pivot and made them more of a just a craft kit like it's a fun project you can display them on a shelf you can use them as a centerpiece you could use them as a place card at a wedding or an event um, where you have place cards um, talked a little bit more about ways you could modify them or like add to them yourself to try to make it more of a yeah like a craft product instead of a gift wrap product okay so it's sort of just rethinking um, what they were, right? But not rethinking the product itself, I, reframing it. Yeah. So I treat it as more of a marketing problem. I changed sort of the types of kits instead of them being just generic um, geometric shapes. I made little houses, and then I made some kits where it was three different little houses, different colors instead of three all the same. Um, and I, I still have some of those sorts of products that I sell when I'm at events that I have in my online shop um, because there are those few people who really love them that I've, I've been doing this for five years now. So um, people over the years, in, especially in the Boston area, I've started like, to, to want to collect them all or whatever. But I love those people. There aren't very many of them. Right. Um, so, and I think this is a really interesting point because... It's a point where a lot of people get stuck, you know, and they feel like I have this product and this is what I want to make and gosh darn it, I'm going to make it work. And the fact that nobody's buying it or pe- very few people are buying it, it's like it's their problem, you know, not mine or something yeah. like that. And it can make you feel resentful or angry or like, why is my business not growing? Um, and it can be really hard to sort of say like, maybe the product is the problem and yeah. having to sort of come up with something different Um, and it not taking that personally I I mean in all honesty like it it really can be and it can be so many things sometimes it's because the product takes too long to make or the um, materials involved are too expensive I mean these weren't exactly your issues but it was just like the product in your case was sort of too niche or something like that so um, and you tried to shift the marketing, which I think is really admirable, but in the end, it just, the, the market wasn't big enough to make a sustainable business for yourself. Right. And it was either like quit or really come up with something different. And you did. So how did you shift again? <laughs> I'd like to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Search Press. SearchPress partners with leading international craft societies to support publishing programs that inspire. Working with the Royal School of Needlework and the Embroiderers Guild, SearchPress publishes the finest books in embroidery. They're also working with world-renowned embroidery magazine publisher, Inspirations, for a new series of books from the pages of Inspirations. And in fact, they're publishing over 20 books on embroidery this year. Looking forward to spring, Search Press has several books coming from a partnership with Q Gardens in painting and in needle arts. Q Gardens is one of the leading botanical gardens in the world, and the books reflect the tremendous resource that Q has to offer for art and craft ideas. I'd also encourage you to check out the embroidery and knitting book from Britt Marie Christofferson. This book is a translation and is from one of the original 10 Swedish designers. She doesn't do much in English, but her designs are amazing. So this will be a very exciting book to check out. Start 2020 off with some of the finest books in craft. 
And if you want to learn more about selling Search Press books in your store or on your website, check them out at searchpressusa.com. Thank you so much, Search Press. And now, back to my conversation with Abigail. So, yeah, so for the first three and a half years of my business, I was I was making kits and I was trying to sell kits. And maybe if I make this new kit, then it's gingerbread houses and we put stickers on it. Maybe that'll sell better. And I sort of like reached a point where people knew to come back and, and buy from me and they knew what to expect. And, and so there was some, a little bit of growth in those products at, at, as that sort of business. Um, and then but not enough. And like, I've been breaking even with the business or breaking even with a little bit of profit each of those years, um, not paying myself, but like covering my materials and being able to invest a little bit in the business, but not really in myself. Um, so in, let's see, in the middle of 2017, um, some friends came to me and they, I'd started making these little houses as kits and I made a few different styles of them. They were like 3D boxes. Yeah. They were houses. Right. Yeah. Um, And some friends came to me and they were like, our our old pastor, his church is closing down. They're like leaving the building that they've been in forever. And we really want something to give to our friend to commemorate this season of his life leading this church. We want it to be around the building since the building is, is being let go. Um, and we were moving and it was craft show season in the summer and I don't know how I did this, but I, I made them a thing and it was a rough model of the church building in a shadow box frame. Um, they gave you a photo of the church and you, and it was red, right? Yeah. And they, and you made the app and you had it printed with the silhouette or did you cut it by hand? I used the silhouette okay. to cut it. To cut um, it. Mm-hmm. Because I could, again, my background's in graphic design. I'm a computer person, not a by hand drawing person. Um, and so I used the computer to draw the shapes that I needed to make it sort of look like the church building. Um, and it, so you cut it and, and I just put like, it in the shadow box and gave it to them. Yes. And how did they feel about it? They, they gifted it to their friend and it went over really well and everyone was happy um and then we renovated our kitchen and <laughs> life, life moved on like you didn't really think, think about it too much it was, right that was just it was the a thing. thing I did one off thing I did a thing for my friends and then I like right very much moved on um then so my my like year cycle is sort of there's a few craft shows in the summer and then around the holiday season there's a lot of things that's the big season for retail um So after the holiday season ended that year, sort of looking back at my numbers, I, I was burnt out. I just like took some time at the beginning of 2018 to just rest, to kind of rethink things and reevaluate because it'd been three years of making the same sorts of things and not doing well enough to support myself. And, you know, my husband is wonderful and super helpful and very patient, but I needed to contribute to the household and figure out how to do that. Um, so in that quiet season, I thought again about that project they had made for my friends a few months before and sort of like 
I, I have a, a group of people in the Boston area that have similar sorts of handmade businesses that we get together. And so I like started talking to them about it. I even, I went to the Craft Industry Alliance, um, like the online, the coffee clatch mm-hmm. chat and started, talked a little bit or asked a little bit about things I was thinking about in, in that forum as well. And people seemed interested. I think I posted on Instagram a little bit to see if the people that follow me would be interested in something like that's a house or a building that's made out of paper that's in a shadow box. Um, <clears throat> I made one of our house as a as like an example, a first one to to, to like a proof of concept. Um, I posted it on Instagram and it got a ton of interaction and people were like, yes, I would totally want one of Always these. Always a good test. Yeah. Um, and it I mean, it was my, my most popular post for months. Right. Um, Whew, that tells you something, right? <laughs> and also good to make one of your own house. That yes. was just also to see if you like doing it. Because right. you'd only ever made one. So it's yeah. like, am I going to actually enjoy making these if I make, like, have to make a bunch of custom orders? So, yeah. yeah. And and how how do I do this? And a house is a lot different than a big church. Um, the material that the building is made out of kind of changes how I'm, I'm learning all these things kind of changes your approach to, to designing the, the paper pieces and things. Um, so I did a little bit of like preliminary research sort of stuff by talking to my friends, by posting on Instagram. And then I released five um, in my Etsy shop. As like a custom listing. As a test, just $50 each. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. I don't know what you're going to get, but I'm going to try, try this it. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all sold out, uh, several of them sold right away. And then kind of within the first month or so, I think all five of them sold. Um, it was nice to have that time because I learned quickly that they can take a lot of time right. to make. Right. Which is good. Cause it helps you figure out pricing, right? You probably right. were underpricing, oh, but yes. you were, it was a beta Right? right, it was in beta, yes. right, and sometimes beta is underpriced, which is fine because you're learning, and the product is probably not so refined anyway, so right. it's okay. Yeah, yeah. So those sold. I made them. People liked them. I raised my prices a little bit and put a few more in my shop, and those sold eventually. And I think I started in March of that year, and by the holiday season. I think I was up to like 150 or 175 for them. I had made another 10 or 15. I'd made 10 or 15 total, I think, by the end of that first year. Um, and as I was in my normal like holiday market frenzy, people I had one with me at shows and people would see it and they'd be like, oh, I need one of these. Can I like have it by Christmas, even though Christmas is in three days? And, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I figured out, we, we figured it out. We had, like, had people booking through January and February um, because of seeing me at holiday shows and it kind of just... Right. So where is the pricing now? So right now they're f- at $425 um, for an 8x10 or 11x14. Okay. And how long does it take you to do them? It still depends on the house, um, but a while. Uh-huh. A couple weeks. <laughs> well, uh, the turnaround, like the when you can have it, is like April right now. Uh-huh. Um, but the actual like time spent per piece is maybe a week's worth of effort. Uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little less, depending on the complexity of the house. Okay. 
Right. So we're we're recording in December, and you're you're if you order now, you get your your house in April. Yes. Right. So you're booked out. I'm booked. Yeah. Out. And yeah. you're making a nice. I mean, it's a nice amount of money for yeah. each one. Um, which is which is great. And talk a little bit about framing because I'm imagining figuring that piece of it out must have been tricky. I mean, framing is hard for I don't know. Like I, I feel like that piece of it seems. Um, I mean, because you have to ship glass and you have to figure. I don't know. I, yeah. That seems hard to me. <laughs> so the jump to framing a thing was actually a big deal for me because coming from. My background is in sculpture and graphic design, which are not things that you frame. Um, so just the concept of making a thing that is framed on the wall was a little bit of a stumbling block for me. Um, but the actual logistics of framing is I've found some affordable shadow box frames that I can buy at a good price. And for now, we're using those. Okay. Um, I, I did find another seller on Etsy that does custom shadow boxes. Okay. And I've started to... To work with them on if somebody needs a special size or I'm hoping next year to offer that as just an, an upgrade option for people because it's a much better much nicer frame that's going to last longer, longer. Um, but for now that my pricing includes a, a very simple shadow box frame got it yeah. okay all right great so so okay that's a really interesting evolution of that product um, and then the other um, oh, well, uh, before we move on from that, I have one other question, which is around um, customization. So I know when you um, when you have a customized product like this, right, you're making basically a portrait of somebody's house, um, things can kind of get out of hand because you have um, some customers who are overly needy, for example. And um, so I know you need to set boundaries, right? Where you say to the customer, you know, you're going to send me this, this is what I need, a photo or multiple photos, whatever it is you might need. And then you're going to have, you know, a certain number of back and forth with this customer, at which point it's over and you're going to make the product. And then if they're, they have to be satisfied with the product. In other words, you have to set these boundaries up because you can have customers who are literally never satisfied and you can do a whole bunch of work and then they're like, no, it doesn't really look like my house. And then it's like, what do you do at that point? So can you talk a little bit about that learning curve? Because I'm sure it's happened to you and how you've kind of set those um, boundaries up. Yeah, so my background in graphic design is actually really helpful for this sort of work because what you learn in school studying graphic design is how to interact with clients, how to set those boundaries, how to control sort of the project. Um, so that part, so far, I've because I came into it sort of expecting to manage that, I think, and sort of spelling out the process in the Etsy listing so that people can see what's going to happen before they, they give me their money. Um, I think that has helped and I think I've also just been really lucky to have really wonderful people um, to work with. A lot of the people I've made houses for met me in person at a show so that that's a different sort of relationship um, sort of the one of the things that happened with that Etsy um, honorable mention this year is has been a rush of orders from people that I've not met in person and so there's been a little bit, there were definitely moments in October where I was feeling really overwhelmed by the number of emails going back and forth and the people that were sending me photos, but there weren't the right photos. And 
um, yes, being being a little needy, but it hasn't been out of control. It ha- I haven't had anyone who has told me they didn't like their house portrait. Okay. Or, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Interesting. And then you have another product that I I feel like it looks to me from the outside at least is um, is really popular, and it's a map. Um, it's kind of an outline map of a particular area. Um, so here we are in Arlington. You have one for Arlington and for lots of other towns in Massachusetts and for other places as well. And I guess I would call this product kind of semi-custom in that, you know, you could do it for whatever town a person is in, even if you've never done that town before. But you also have towns that you can just repeat. You already have that file set up and you just press print and there it is. Um, so tell me how this product came about um, for you. So... I have these craft kits and they they retail between $12 and $30 um, little houses and things and then I have these custom house portraits that are $425 right so that's a huge jump (laughs) between the little kit and the customized uh, portrait yeah right so and they it takes a long time to get them it takes me a long time to make them I I couldn't I I needed a, a thing that wouldn't take as long to make wouldn't take as long for people to get in their hands um and a thing that retailed with better i mean to be bought with the from the business perspective that had better margins yeah that took less time to make than the craft kits so that i had more time to make the houses um i also make um these like windows that are sculptural paper architectural details um that sort of are the in-between or one, another in-between product between the houses and the craft kits. Um, so I've been experimenting sort of in that space. And the the maps are, like you said, I can I have a sort of library of designs in the area. Um, I did a show in Portland this summer, and I made some of Portland and sort of the islands around Portland, Maine. Um, and those, those have also sold well because they're vacation destinations. Absolutely. I mean, it's the perfect thing for someone with a vacation house to put in their house. I mean, yes. it's like ideal or to gift for somebody. I mean, it's, you know, to put in their powder room or whatever. I mean, so they, you, it's so easy to buy. Yeah. 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 So that's been equally exciting. Like, it's exciting that people want the house portraits, but it's even more exciting that I can make this thing relatively quickly um, that people will want. And to around buy. New England, it's like preppy. I don't know. It has this like a little bit of like, <laughs> I live in Wellesley, which is like uber preppy. Not that I'm preppy, but oh my gosh, it, I, I'm sorry. I live in a very preppy town. And there are just these um, shops in my town that would like, so like in a heartbeat carry them. It just seems like it's, it's like the perfect product. Um, because that's like where the, that's the total buyer for that product. It's just, you know, fits perfectly. Um, they love like, you know, the, the, the zip code pillows and, you know, it's like perfect. <laughs> for them um it's, it's an adorable product right? it's like fits perfectly with that yeah. with that aesthetic um so i can just i can so what do they retail for they retail um on, on etsy they're 48 because it includes shipping in person they're 42 okay and um and they're already framed they're already framed and ready to hang and, and about how big how big are they they're eight by eight okay so yeah. it's eight right right i think that's great yeah yeah and they they have different so the design is cut out of white paper and then I have different background colors so if you order online you can pick from like 25 different colors for the the inside or the background um so they can kind of fit in any space right in your decor right so they match yeah absolutely 
So good. So, and, and how do they do? Do they do really well? Do they yeah. sell well? Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of figuring out who the people are and why they buy them, but it's been fun to figure that out and, and get some data and try some things. Okay. So together now, here you are, you see this evolution, right, <laughs> between where you were and here you are. Um, is the business now like a business and not a hobby? I mean, do you feel like it's become something that's more financially like sustaining you? Yes, I'm I'm on track. This year I've been able to actually pay myself a little bit um, and I'm interested to, to like restructure some things and try and see how next year goes. But I think I won't be replacing my income from my university job at this point yet probably, but I'm a lot closer than I have been. Right. Um, I think this year I've already doubled my income from last year. Which is amazing growth. Yeah. I mean, if you just think about that as a, from a growth perspective. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I, I want to say, too, like, the background of that is that my, my income was relatively stable. <laughs> like, not very much and not growing dramatically until this year. Right. And But it took all this ideation, right? Like, right. it took this sort of this, this, this decision to sort of rethink. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I, all of the product design and iterations and work that I did as I was trying to figure out what what would sell um, with the craft kits, like all of that time I spent working with paper has been really useful to understand now how paper will react to me doing different things to it to try to build these uh, three-dimensional puzzles that look like people's houses. Um, so that's been... It's been really gratifying to, to see, like, oh, I spent all of that time there. And it and wasn't it, a waste. It was a learning process for you as well because the material was, you know, fairly new to you too. And so you needed to spend that time with it. Yep. For sure. Okay. And so, I mean, I also think, you know, um, we're going to talk now about Etsy and about the Etsy Design Awards. And, you know, I think it's easy for people to look at it and say, oh, you know, you're an overnight success. Um, but... You know, it's been five years and there's there were years of just sort of like butting up against it not really working all that well. Um, and I think it's really helpful to hear that. So um, so why did you choose Etsy as a platform? I mean, I think we can go back to that, um, to applying to that craft fair. And it seems pretty obvious, like it just was there and easy. Is that right? right? Yeah. And you've stuck with it, though. I mean, you do have your own website. Um, but the e-commerce portion of that website is an Etsy is yeah, yeah it's just Etsy. shop. So why, why have you chosen that in plans to move to Shopify or no or what? Um, so my background is in building websites. Right. I've been making websites for more than half of my life and I'm tired of making websites. <laughs> it's hard. Making um, websites is uh, it's a thing. It's, it yeah. was a job that I had and yep. I know how to do it kind of mostly still but it's not a thing I'm really interested in spending my time on. Um, so I sell on Etsy because I know that it's secure. I know that I don't have to worry about if it goes down, it's not a thing I can fix. Um, they have a massive team that does yes. user experience and testing. And, you know, when it goes down on Christmas morning, they fix it, whatever. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I have my own website because I, I can and it's easy enough. Um, at some point, I will figure out an e-commerce solution, but right now I'm just making houses, <laughs> trying right. to get people their houses. Right. Um, and before the Etsy Design Awards and this influx of orders, 
it didn't seem worth it because I wasn't doing a lot of volume of online sales. Mm -hmm. Um, And Etsy, you know, people complain about the fees and the fees have gone up um, to 5% and it's including 5% on shipping, which it didn't used to be, et cetera. But if you look at the fees for Shopify or for hosting your own site and you actually get down and granular about it, it's actually fairly inexpensive. Um, so, and it's, I mean, it depends on the volume of your sales and, and all of that. There are a lot of variables here, but it's not expensive right. um, when it comes to, you know, hosting your own site yeah. um, and your own e-commerce. So it's easy it's and easy. Uh, and they run it for you. Yes. You know, so... Yeah. There's that. Um, okay, so and then when you saw the the design awards, which is new this year, um, it's an interesting move for Etsy. They've never, as far as I know, and I've been on Etsy for a very long time, done this before. It was yeah. an interesting move. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what it was, whether it was to try to get press or I think that was certainly part of it, and um, I think it was successful in doing that. Um, yeah. Or whether there was other motivations, I don't know. But um, so you saw the the um, call for entries, right. and what did you think? And 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 talk about that process. Um, well, I mean, it was free to apply, so why not? And then, sort of like thinking about my range of products, it was kind of a no brainer. I <laughs> like submit this craft kit that sells at a mediocre pace everywhere <laughs> right. or I can submit this house portrait which I haven't seen anyone do anything quite like it and it's pretty stunning like it. yeah it's pretty the photos so, are pretty cool yeah so why not submit this um so I did yeah right. Okay, and that was it. You just submitted it. The, the application was pretty cut and dry. It wasn't hard. It was hard. very straightforward. It was like five short answer questions, and one of them was, why do you think this deserves to win? I was like, well, no one else is making it, <laughs> and I think it's cool. <laughs> right. So you just submitted it and, and pressed enter, and that was it. Yep. Cool. Okay. And then what happened when they... How did you get notified? And So I think maybe the first thing was an email notifying me that I was a finalist um and actually last year around the holidays um an Etsy PR person reached out to me and I was I was featured on a little NBC spot um just on the local news around uh buying locally made gifts for the holidays and so I knew this person already so she reached out to me and she was like can we schedule a call I want to talk to you about this um and so we chatted about what my product is and why and how and all that that sort of stuff um and she told me a little bit more about like their process for sorting through all the entries and figuring out the finalists and how many finalists there were and I sort of was like oh I'm a finalist it's not a big deal like there are lots of finalists but talking to her I realized no this is kind of a big deal like it's there there were a lot of entries and there aren't that many finalists in comparison and this is like significant honor. Um, and so that was really exciting, really yeah. encouraging. Yeah, totally. Um, so, and then was there, you got like an honorable mention and then was there like a second? I, I don't So was... the finalist was like the official okay. thing. And then they didn't actually tell me I was an honorable mention. Okay. They, so you were a finalist I, and an honorable mention. I, I sort of knew that I didn't win because they, okay. they hadn't let me know and the announcement was coming soon and so right with with the finalists um they told the finalists a couple weeks or a month before 
they actually and how many finalists were there there was like a hundred and fifty finalists yeah. okay um, and then the winner was like a wallpaper designer yes okay yes yeah and then you but you were an honorable mention and there were just a few honorable mentions yeah so and they didn't even tell me oh it just on the winners page you scroll down to the bottom and there's just a heading that's like honorable mentions and, and there you were six or eight wow so that's really a small group yeah that's amazing yeah congratulations really yeah so then you get to put that little um award on your banner which yes. you should totally keep forever and ever oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like you got a whole influx of orders right. from that yeah the day that the winner's page went up i got four orders um which for houses for house for right. house portraits right, right. Um, and then it's sort of been a, a steady trickle since then, mm-hmm. um, mixed in with like people, local people who see me and want something for the holidays. Too. Right, right. And did you feel differently too? Did it help? Like I don't know. Sort of. Like I felt like after like my book came out, for example, I just had this sort of sense of myself feeling differently. Did it, did it make you feel like on an emotional level somewhat different? Yeah, I, I. It's been. It's been five years of trying. You know, you meet new people, or you're in a social event, and people are like, "Oh, what what do you do? How where do you work?" Yeah, it's like, well, I design and make um, paper gift boxes with a computerized cutting machine, and <laughs> you can put them together yourself, and I sell them at craft shows. And people are always like, "I don't know what, what? you're saying. <laughs> Those words do not mean anything <laughs> to me. I'm sorry." Um, so, and and sort of like. The reason I started my business five years ago was was also to have some definition in what I was doing with my life after I quit my job. Right, there, that was part of the motivation there, and so it's been it's been this journey of what is my job, what am I doing, and as I started making these custom house portraits, I kind of landed on the language of calling myself a paper artist. Um, because suddenly I was making things in frames on a wall, and that's how people understand art in a in a generic term. And so, I don't know. It's it's been it's been really affirming to to make that pivot that I was nervous about, and have it rewarded by this. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And it's just easier to say, I'm a paper artist. Right. And yeah. then if somebody wants to know more, they can say, okay, tell me more about that. And then right. you can go into it. But it's just like quicker and easier. Yeah. 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 Way to say it. Understood. Um, and so I also want to talk a little bit about your marketing strategy. So you have an email newsletter, which I get and really enjoy. And you have a freebie or a lead magnet, which is email marketing jargon, <laughs> um, that you have there. And I got it and made it. Oh, yeah. So cute. My, my daughter colored it in for me um, because it's white when you print it out. But can you talk a little bit about what it is, why you put it there, how it works, um, and sort of your email strategy? Because I'm a huge email fan, as you know. <laughs> um, so my, my job, my day job at the university was email marketing. Um, so I sort of started my business and was like, okay, if I have a business, I have to collect email addresses. And yes, I have to you do. Letters. Yes, you do. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, so that was that a no-brainer. Right? Yeah. Um, and then because my business started off with craft kits, my freebie is a printable paper house project. Um, and I, it's had a few iterations over the years, but I haven't had a chance to think about it lately. So that's what it still is. Um, 
and yeah it's it's that wanting to make crafting accessible for people wherever they are um, and get them folding paper get them doing something with their hands um, to take them out of this the digital like this the scroll the overwhelm um, and let them make something tangible that's easy that's doable yeah totally and I think it's really effective I totally liked liked getting it and um so good good idea to give people a little something a little taste of something and it's really easy this one it's just like basically four sides and a little triangular roof and a bottom so super yeah. easy to do it takes like five minutes with a glue stick to put it together but it's really cute yeah. um so um i think that that's a great idea and um i wanted to also just finish up by talking about before we get to your list um by talking about why you do craft fairs because um you know i think it's easy or easier certainly to just um sit behind the computer um but i know i mean just from reading um your sort of social media updates and blog updates recently that i'm here on like a friday in the middle of the holiday season and i was like oh gosh i'm like i'm sure she's like um like oh god i'm like you know it's 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 craft fair season and i know you're like hectically running around so um so why do you continue to do them and sort of what do you get out of those experiences um so I think initially it was it was market research, like I'm making these products, I've invented this thing that nobody seems to want, I need to, to understand how people interact with them, how they approach them, what they're thinking about them. Um, and it was, I mean, very, very initially, it was, I'm gonna sign up for this thing and if I want to, to do this thing, I have to have products to sell there. So it was also motivational, <laughs> so like I better deadline. buckle down. And it was a way to validate, like if I get accepted to this craft show, then maybe this is a thing that people might buy. Um, so, okay. so getting accepted to that very first craft show was right. sort of Right, so it's like validating you and then giving you a deadline and yes. then doing market research, all three of those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then sort of I ended up in this world of, of craft shows and people who do craft shows um in the boston area there's this world of people who make their whole livings um, yeah selling their handmade products at craft shows and and a little bit online it's a circuit it's a circuit and so once you're in it then it's like you're looking for the next thing and it, it's going to be cool and whatever um so i kind of fell down the rabbit hole of just signing up for more craft shows because maybe i'll find the right one with the right people who will buy my products or will like invent the right product for the, the thing. Um, so I did an, a lot of shows those first few years and I learned a lot about customers and running a business and doing events and, and being um, interacting with people, talking about my work. Um, I think that makes a big difference in being able to talk about my work is that you, if at a craft show you're, you're doing that, you get to test your elevator pitch a hundred times over that six-hour show mm-hmm. or more. Um, it's a it's quick refinement. Yeah, absolutely. And does it pay off? I mean, finance from a financial perspective, they don't all pay off. They don't all pay off. They haven't really paid off for me. <laughs> Again, with that, like, um, I was really just trying, really being stubborn. And trying things and trying things and trying things um, for the last five years and trying to figure out how to make this product that I really want to make make money and they sold but they didn't sell as well as like the people who were who are doing these shows full-time 
they can kind of predict how much money they're going to make. They can um, set sales goals and things. And I'm just like happy to cover my booth fee and a little bit more. I never, I never made a sustainable amount of money reliably doing craft shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially now that I have these house portraits, it's justifiable as a marketing expense. Right. Because you'll get your book orders. Right. And the, the maps do sell. I'm still figuring out exactly where and how, um, but the maps do sell at the shows. At the shows, and because the margins are so much better, it's those are those are a great product at shows. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. All right. We're gonna get to your um, your list. So um, I know that you like listening to audiobooks um, while you're working. I thought it was interesting that you said that um, podcasts are too short for you, which is interesting. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so tell, talk a little bit of what, about what you do like to listen to while you're working. Um, so the house portraits, be, because of the way I, I'm tracing a photograph and then I'm turning that photograph into the pieces that I need to build the house. Um, so I'm like building the house in my head and it, it uses a lot of mental energy, but it's a certain kind of mental energy so having something to listen to is great but knowing that 45 minutes have passed is not great <laughs> so right so it's like you don't want that reminder right. that time has gone by yes i say so the audiobooks give me like it's endless eight hours or 20 hours or whatever <laughs> right of, of a story that i can be like paying attention to while also still building a house in my head. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. And you get them from the library versus getting them from Audible? Yeah. So I, I have an Audible subscription right now, and there are some things that that's the best place to go, but because I need volume. Right. It gets expensive. <laughs> it gets expensive. Yeah, because I, I, I have Audible subscription, but I only have two credits a month, and uh, yeah. my, well, my kids blow through them, so I never actually get access to them. I haven't had a book for myself in years, <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. 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 So the, the local library has... They have ebooks and they have audiobooks, and I would love to be going to the library and getting actual books to read, but I have time to listen to things more than I have time to actually read things. Yeah. So, yeah. Good. That's cool. Um, all right. And you um, you use the Get to Work book planner. And uh, we just had Elise on the podcast, which um, people can go back and listen to. So what do you like about this planner? Um, I found Get to Work book after I had spent a couple years using my own planner that I had designed. And when I got the Get to Work book, I realized it was so much less stressful to use someone else's design. I have to think about how I was going to iterate it. Um, but I love that it's a simple layout, that it kind of guides me to think about focusing on a number of, like, there's a, there's three boxes at the top of each day. You have yours right here next to us. Yeah. (laughs) um, Three boxes on each week. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and so it's sort of a subtle, like, hey, Abigail, maybe you can do three things today. Maybe you can't do 1,200 things today. Like, full to-do list. Here's, like, three. Yeah. Right. Um. I like that. So that's helpful. Yeah. And there's plenty of space, and it's flexible, so I can make notes about a meeting or... A product idea or whatever and not have to worry about following a specific 
formula or whatever. Right. Yeah, totally. Just enough structure. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> okay, cool. Um, and I know lots of people are big fans, so you're definitely not alone. And then um, this I want to check out. So this is a their Stasher silicone bags. Um, and use them for snacks. I have to click over and like take a look at what these look like. So what are they? I'm looking. So it's a it's a Ziploc bag replacement. Okay. And they exist in a bunch of different sizes, but they're made entirely of silicone. So, so they're reusable. They're reusable. They're not going to melt. They're I don't, they're very sturdy. The seal is really nice. Um, they come in little sizes and big sizes. And I I've been trying to like we use fab cloth napkins. I've been we do trying too. To yeah use less stuff. And, and I felt terrible about my, like, Ziploc sandwich bags. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I found these just, I was at a shop somewhere, and I grabbed one just to try it, and we've really, like, we, like, had to get a few more because we would, there are three of us in the house, and my husband takes his lunch to work, and my sister takes snacks places too, and so we'd be like, where's the bag? Like, <laughs> who, who has the bag? Um so I just ordered a bunch more. Um, they had a Black Friday sale, but and they're, they're easy to clean. They're easy to clean. Uh, they're dishwasher safe. Okay. Um, Can you turn them inside which out? Which is really nice. I think you're not supposed to because they'll rip. They might rip. eventually break. Yeah. But if it's really gross, you could. Okay. Um, and we have bottle jets on our dishwasher. Okay. So I try to put it over the bottle jet to just make yeah. Sure and I'm that thinking it's like we have um, stainless steel straws, you yeah. know, and we have a little brush. Yeah. For them to clean. So we could use that. Yeah. 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 So, so far, like... Pretty cool. Yeah. I'll take I'll take stuff to craft shows with me and have, like, four different bags of snacks. And right. Because you nice are to... standing there all day long and need <laughs> snacks and can't sit down and actually eat a lunch. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, great. So they're good. All right. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I totally need something different from what I'm using. And, um, I like I said, I feel terrible about all of my snack bags, so... That's cool. All right. I haven't heard of this before. Um, well, Abigail, thank you so much for having me over, yeah. first of all. <laughs> I know. I'm so glad we can make this work. And thank you for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode is brought to you by Search Press. Search Press is proud to sponsor this podcast and delighted to bring you wonderful craft books. As an independent, family-owned publisher, Search Press Books are supplied through art and craft retailers in the United States and Canada. Search Press Books are available through Summer Street Associates and are distributed by Penguin Random House. Thank you so much, Search Press. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.